All right, 1 John chapter 3 tonight, and we'll read in verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Father, I thank you tonight that we've had good music. We've had music that has brought our hearts closer to God. Father, I pray tonight that now in the preaching, your Holy Spirit will work in our midst. Father, I pray that you'll give us confidence in our Christian walk so that we can be good servants of you. Thank you for this weekend, for those that have been able to uh, experience the full measure of the couple's weekend, the couple's retreat, the family morning this morning that we had. And Father, I thank you for the preaching we heard this morning on our homes, especially for us dads. Father, I pray that as men, we will be the center, or the center of Bible knowledge in our homes, the location that our wives and our children turn to. Father, I pray that you'll help us to be a strong foundation for our families. Father, bless now in this time. Bless these words that I speak. May they be from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. According to the Library of Congress, the following items were on Abraham Lincoln's person the night he was assassinated. A handkerchief embroidered, A. Lincoln. Two, a country boy's penknife. Three, a spectacles case repaired with string. Kind of shows you the thrift of our president. Four, a purse containing five, a $5 bill from the Confederacy of all places. And number five, some old and worn out newspaper clippings. And it was always interesting to me as I studied Lincoln, and he was one of my favorite presidents growing up. Jason's not in here, and if you were at the couple's retreat, you understand his faux pas. He thought a picture of Abraham Lincoln was actually Daniel Boone this weekend, so I'll forgive him for that. But it always was interesting to me about these newspaper clippings. Uh, the one that stood, stood out in my mind was this. Why did he keep newspaper clippings, and what did they say? Well, according to the Library of Congress again, uh, these clippings concerned the great deeds of Abraham Lincoln during his presidency. One of them was a reported speech by John Bright, which says that Abraham Lincoln is, and he quotes, one of the greatest men of all times. Today, I think you and I would say that is common knowledge. He was one of the greatest men that ever was the president of this fine country of ours. But in 1865, millions shared quite a contrary opinion. He was not widely viewed as a great man. He was not viewed as a uniting president. He was not viewed as a good fit for the office. The world now knows that British statesman John Bright was right in his assessment of Abraham Lincoln. But those then did not understand it. He was a lonely, uh, he was a lonely agony in his agony, uh, and it reflected something about him that he would keep these newspaper clippings about his greatness in his pocket. And I've always thought about that, that he would carry with him at all times quotes and, and interesting statements about him as being a good man. A great man. But I got to thinking about it. That's really what God has given to you and I in His Word to tell us that when we do things the right way, when we do things according to God's Holy Word, you and I also can be great people for the Lord. 
What happens so often in our lives is that as Christians, uh, we go about this life and we have so much sin and so many problems that have beset us that we lack our confidence, we lose our assurance, and we lose our ability to serve God in the ministry, in the church. Tonight, we will find that in John's writings, in chapter 3, that you and I can have a little dose of confidence infused into us, and it is found in the love of God. I'm grateful to God that the Bible is infallible, that it is inerrant in its teaching. The more my life is grounded in the principles of the Scripture, the more I am able to live a confident Christian life. When you're confident about something, you're going to share it. When you're confident about something, you're going to show it to other people. And as we've seen in this series to this point, in 1 John chapters 1 and 2, uh, that living a confident Christian life uh, is about fellowship. It's about confession, as we saw in John chapter, 1 John 1 and verse 9, that the confession helps us to be confident in our Lord. We learned last week in chapter 2 that obedience helps us to be confident in our salvation. And as I'm obedient and as I obey the Word of God, it moves me further along in my Christian walk so that I can, in fact, grow in grace, that I can walk by faith as I go through this life. We see here in chapter 3 that he gives us deeper and further understanding of what God desires for us. And he says here that the love of the Father has been bestowed upon us. In fact, in these three verses, the Bible shows us that who we are in Christ, where we are going because of the love of God, and what we are to be doing. So first in our outlines tonight, let's look at the position of the Christian. Look with me at the position of the Christian. It's found in verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. And by the way, that word bestowed kind of has the idea of being showered upon us. It has been absolutely poured out, if you will. The last drop of God's love is available to be poured out in your life. He said that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Of God. The position of the Christian is that we are the sons of God. In fact, in John chapter 1 and verse 12, he tells us that as much. He says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become what? The sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I would say as well that Jesus reminded us in John's writing as well, in John 8 44, that when we live in sin or before our salvation, we are of our who? Father. The devil. And so if we're not the sons of God, then we are the sons of perdition, you might say, like Judas Iscariot. We are sons of the devil. We are liars. We are deceivers. We are murderers. We are every sort of evil that could possibly be imagined. Uh, this weekend we were at Berea College, and it's kind of an enigma to me. I'm not certain what they in fact believe. Uh, I know their slogan is, we are all one blood of one people. Which tells me that in their belief structure, at some point, they understand or believe a concept of the brotherhood of man and the fatherhood of God. And that is not a scriptural principle. Uh, You might say it this way, we all are founded in brotherhood. Yes, we are all sinners, and by that we are in the family of the devil. But only through salvation do we get into a relationship where we see that we are the children of of God. And so we have this position as a Christian that John here lays out. And he said, listen, I'm writing this book to any New, ter- New Testament church, any early church that was going on through Asia Minor and, and, and through the, the regions there. He was writing them to say, listen, you can be confident. 
They did not have the completed pages of Scripture that you and I have and that we can study to show ourselves approved or tested through the time trials that are there and that we can see how God has worked in our life. These people were literally walking by faith and not by sight. They didn't even have the words of God to read as you and I do. And so as we understand this, there is a position that he is here trying to explain to them. Galatians 3 and verse 26 says, For you are all children of God by what? Faith in Jesus Christ. And letter A, that brings us to what the first position for you and I is. That there is love given to us. There is love given to us. The position of a Christian is that we are the recipients of God's love. And we see that there in verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed Upon us. I heard a man say this once salvation from start to finish is an expression of God's love. Mm, amen. That's a good way to put it. Salvation from start to finish is an expression of God's love. John is simply mesmerized, really, by the depth and the quality of God's love. And that's what he says here what manner of love? Understand what John is doing. He is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What is one of the functions or the works of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers? Well, it's to take our prayers that we can't really utter in the right words, and He is to translate those to God the Father. As He is here pouring His mind into the mind of, of John, as He is then pinning these words, He literally runs out, John does, uh, of the deepness and the richness and the depth of the love of God. He just writes, what manner of love. Man, how great that love is. How fantastic God's love is in your life. And that should add a measure of confidence to anything you do in your Christian walk. God loves you. Amen. Not because we first loved Him, but because He, the Bible says, first loved us. Boy, what a confidence boost that is to all of us. In fact, what manner in verse 1 means special quality or an out-of-this-world kind of love, you might say. Even with the inspiration, as I said, of the Holy Spirit, John could not properly or completely put into words that love of God in his life. Romans 5, 8 comes to mind, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. That's the measure of his love. I heard a story that many years ago there was a young girl who, uh, whose face had been badly disfigured by a house fire. Her parents had died, and so she was taken by to, uh, by, uh, to town uh, to an orphanage, a special school for her. Waiting at the terminal, she watched as the superintendent of the, school, uh, of the school greeted other girls in line. The superintendent would lean down and give a hug and a kiss to each girl, and she was just so kind to each one of them. And as she went to each one, and she came to the last little girl whose face was marred with scars and the, the, the wounds that were there, and the little girl looked up at the superintendent and said, Would you just give me a hug? The superintendent looked down and gave her a big kiss on the cheek and a big hug and said, you're welcome as well. Put her on the bus and took her to the school. And you know, as, as unlovely as we were to our Heavenly Father, He gave His Son so that we might be saved. Amen. Think about that. Boy, you can have a confidence boost. Boy, if you're having a humdrum day, a low-down, dirty day, and you got nothing going for you, everybody's against you, all of your sales have gone bad, and all of your business dealings have gone south, everything in your job has gone sideways, your family relationships are falling apart, the love of God has placed you in a position of confidence, of excitement. But yet we see so many Christians that walk around with the long, drawn-out, sad faces. 
a position of love that was there. But number two, or letter B, we've become his children. There is a position that has come to our lives because of the work of Christ on Calvary. We're told in the Scriptures that because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we are literally joint heirs with him of all the rights and privileges that he has in heaven. What a wonderful thought. I think of the old song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Is your life a living example of the foretaste of the glory that will come? You are the child, you are the daughter, the son of God today because Christ died for your sin. That's a position anyone would envy. In fact, it never ceases to amaze me uh, as to the lengths that the devil will go to minimize believers' influence and their desire to serve God. The popular one in most false religions uh, that sounds like Christianity, but it's not, is that we can lose our salvation. I have dealt with this on many different occasions since being here, and we have this concept that seems to permeate and that, well, I have to do enough things to keep God's love in my life. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible throughout the scriptures teaches us that God the Father holds us by His power in His hand. That Jesus Christ also holds us in His hand. That the Holy Spirit wraps a seal around that. And that all three persons of the Godhead and all of their power keeps us secure as His children. Amen. I don't care what you do, you can't lose your that's salvation. Right. That's right. Boy, that's a position that's, un, uh, that's undeniably great. <laughs> I think of my own life, and maybe think of your own families. If your child were to do something, would you disown them? I don't care what Drew ever did. I don't care if Drew ever went out and murdered someone or did some heinous crime against humanity. He would still be my son. And the Bible teaches us, listen, you being earthly fathers know how to give good gifts. How much more your heavenly father. Listen, the gift of salvation is much greater than the gift of last name of Fanon. It's much greater than your last name or your pedigree or your heritage. What a position we have that is found in Jesus Christ. And that's what he tells us here. He said, look, that we should be called the sons of God. And then in verse 2 he says it again. Beloved, we are now called. In fact, in verse 2, there's even a confidence growing in the Apostle John. He's getting excited. He said, listen, this is great. He said, you are called. And he says, now we are called the sons of God. There's an excitement that was in his voice. And let her see the position is that we are out of sorts or we are not recognized by the world. We are not recognized by the world. He says there at the latter half of verse 2, he says, And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him as he is, for we shall see him as he is. Excuse me, verse 1. I'm in the wrong verse. At the end of verse 1, he says, Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it what? Knew him not. The Bible says that Jesus came into His own and His own what? Received Him not. You know one of the confidence builders in your life because of the position you have as the son or the daughter of God because of your faith in Jesus Christ is that the world's not going to make sense to you? And that you're not going to make sense to the world? Well, pastor, I wish we could just get along with them. Maybe we ought to just start a church where we just look a lot like them. Maybe we ought to sound a lot like them. Pastor, maybe what we ought to do is, is we ought to just go out on visitation and not so much tell them about hell, but just tell them how many great programs we have. Now, maybe we shouldn't be so offensive, Pastor. Jesus Christ, when He came, spoke the truth. Now, we should speak it in love. I'm not saying that tomorrow we ought to go out and just cut with our words. Uh, I would dare say that your visitation efforts would go very poorly if you knocked on the door and everybody that opened you said, you're going to hell. Now get saved. It wouldn't go very well. 
Uh, it wouldn't be responded to very well. You might have a couple black eyes, a broken nose. You might come back here missing some teeth. Uh, you know, it, you want to speak the truth in love, and Jesus always did that. He spoke directly. But you and I should understand that we're not going to be uh, comfy cozy with the world. It's a position that we take once we are saved, once we are placed into that family of God. The world system rejects God. We're told in the book of James that it is at enmity with God. It stands opposed to Him. Uh, there's literally a wedge of division driven there. And what is that wedge? Sin. It stands between the holiness and righteousness and who God is and what the world is all about. So we see, first, there is the position of the Christian. But secondly, there is the promise that is to the Christian that we find in verse 2. There is the promise that is to the Christian. Notice the Bible says in verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Isn't God good? I'm so glad we sang that chorus tonight. I hadn't really requested it, and uh, we were going through picking out choruses that were on the, the uh, um, regular music uh, person in our church, uh, music piano player, uh, and thankfully we had a better piano player here today, uh, and we could sing God is good, because God is so good to us that He doesn't just place us into His family, He doesn't just give us a position being called the sons of God, but He gives us promises that He will fulfill. You think about that when you kind of contemplate this idea uh, of a promise. Uh, and we see two of them here. Uh, two parts, I guess, to this promise. Number one, or letter A, He shall appear, the Bible says. He shall appear. It's a guaranteed. It's a foregone conclusion. It is as sure to happen as His first coming happened. The Bible says He shall appear. Colossians 3, 4, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory, Paul wrote. John writes here, We shall see Him as He is. Paul wrote it this way, Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Lord in Titus chapter 2. Jesus Himself spoke of His glorious return. And He says, And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. In Mark chapter 13 and verse 26. This is no idle promise. There are over 300 references in the New Testament alone to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are told there will be a shout. There will be a trumpet call. There will be the voice of the archangels. We are told that the clouds will roll back and that Jesus himself will descend. And what an exciting thing that is. Well, that's a great promise. We don't just have the position that builds our confidence. We have a promise to look forward to that emboldens me to spread the good news. That gives me hope as I go forward. That'll pick you up. That'll put a skip in your step, won't it? Uh, that'll make a humdrum day into a sunny day any time of the week. This should infuse you and I with confidence. It should give the boldness of a straight backbone to the wobbliest of Christians. It should strengthen their knees. But it's not just that He shall appear, and it, but, it, but secondly, it's that we shall be like Him. You know, it would be one thing if there was a promise of an imminent return. And I think uh, Brother Abby alluded to it. And I've, I've, it's no secret to the church. I wasn't always the best little kid. I wasn't terrible, was I, Mom? Notice I asked my mother. <laughs> um, I wasn't terrible as a child growing up. But I had a lot of spankings. There was a lot of meetings of the minds. And, and it sounds like my, my dad might have gotten some instruction from Mr. Abby on how to discipline. Dad would always come into my room. And, and I told, I've said this in here before. He'd, he'd have the checklist out and he'd say, all right, this is what you did. This is what the Bible says about what you did. Uh, this is about how we remedy that. Usually meant some kind of 
pain and problems on the backside. Uh, and then he said, your mom and I still love you. The only time I ever messed that process up is one time he got out of order and I pointed out and the paper went away and, and there we went, all right? He laughed about it. He knows what I'm talking about. So, uh, but we think about that. There is a promise that would come from my mom on quite a few days. When your dad gets home, we're going to talk about this. You ever had that happen to you, those who grew up in a house where you had whoopings? When mom or dad, or dad gets home, we're going to talk about this. Well, folks, that's a promise. He shall appear. He's going to show up. And I would count the days. I was thinking, man, I hope I-95 is backed up. Boy, I hope 395 there's an accident. Man, I hope mom forgets. Man, I hope somebody calls and there's some tragedy and we have to go take care of it. There was a promise that he would appear. You know what I'm talking about. Those have had kids or when you were a child yourself and that happened. There was a promise. But God doesn't give us just a threatening promise. He says, when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Boy, that's good news. You know, there was other times about it, too. I, I remember my dad, or my mom used to get tickets to the Redskins game. I never became a Redskins fan. I'm sorry. I know there's those of it here that, that are. Uh, dad is still a Redskins fan. But mom would get Redskins fan, and the church that we went to used to have early church. And they would start church at 8 a.m., and then Sunday school was 9 a.m. And so you could still get home, and, and then they had 10 a.m. church after that. I think that, I might have the hours off by a little bit. But if there was a 1 o'clock kickoff, Mom would always scour at the agency and find the right ticket that she could get and find us a home game with the Redskins that we could go to and get there by 1 o'clock and come home. You know what? That's a great promise when mom comes and says, I think I can get tickets. I'm going to get tickets. Well, that's great. You know, you're going to go to church in the morning. You're going to go to Sunday school. You're going to go to a football game, come home, take a shower, and go to church at night. Boy, that worked out great. Never missed a beat. Uh, it was a wonderful opportunity. And that was, a, to me, as a young kid, that was a great promise. I mean, that was, hey, look, we shall appear there. And there's going to be some good things that go with it. There's going to be some encouraging times. There's going to be some fun for you and Dad to go to that. My sister and I would alternate years is what we, we would get to go because she could only get two tickets. But we think about this idea of we shall be like Him. We will have a new body, you and I, when Jesus comes. That's a promise. You got a pain in your knee? You got a pain in your hip? That one's for you, Dad. I had a pain in my back this afternoon. You have deafness, you have blindness, you have trouble with your speech, you have those who have mental handicaps. When Jesus Christ comes, we shall appear with Him as He is. Amen. Man, I, what other religion, what other faith? And, and we have the one true faith, so all of the rest are just trying to make things up to try to act like ours is the way I always say it. But none of them can match up to the promises that God makes. None of the false gods of this world would be foolish enough to promise what God promises. Because only He and His omnipotence can deliver. What a wonderful confidence builder it is for you and I. And I would remind us, we're not just going to be little demigods. You are going to be you in heaven. You're just going to be a perfect you. What a wonderful thought that is. Most of you are going to probably come some visit my house and say, I want to see what a perfect pastor is really like. <laughs> I probably will look in the mirror and see what it's like. Bob, I might come visit you to see what a perfect pastor is like. You come visit me. Psalm 17, 15 says, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness, the psalmist says. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. David understood it. He got it. Confidence should permeate our lives. Why? Because we have a promise from God that Christ is coming again and that when He does, we're going to rise just like Him. We're going to be perfected in our bodies. Our position is good. 
Our, uh, God's promises are great, and they give us confidence. But John says a third thing here that draws us to number three, the practice of the Christian. What is the resulting outflow of this? All right, I've got the confidence in my position. I'm secure in who I am. I know I'm saved and I'm always saved and I can't lose it because I'm held by the power of God. I understand that there are promises coming to me and this is exciting me. Pastor, now what do I do? You see, if we take all these things and keep them in theory, if we keep all these things in our heart, as Mary did and pondered them in her heart, and we don't ever put them into practice... They do us no good and they do our Lord no good. So there is a practice that needs to flow out from the Christian. And in verse 3, John gives us what the practice is for you and I. He says, Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Working for something causes us to believe in it more and more. Uh, I'll never forget when I was trying to remodel my parents' basement when I was a single guy and I was going to live down there. Did a terrible job. I think Dad's paid five or six thousand dollars to have fixed what I ruined in their basement. But I knew that that was going to be where I was living, and so I was drywalling. And I hate drywalling. You men that know and that helped with the church remodel, I hate drywalling. I hate mudding. But I was mudding. I was there every night trying to mud. I was there pulling up carpet and pulling down other things. I was working hard and I was working diligent. Why? Because I believed this was where I was going to live. If I didn't get this done, I was sleeping on the concrete slab. I worked harder because I believed in what I was doing. There was an accomplished goal out in front of me that I wanted to reach. And so it is in our Christian life as well. Working for something causes us to believe in it that much more. Letter A, it is built, our confidence is built on our hope, John says. The songwriter said it right, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You and I have a faith to build on. You know, that's really what the whole book of James is about. Building upon your faith. Uh, so many uh, false religions take the book of James and say, no, it's about work salvation. And friend, that's wrong. That's right. The book of James is all about, okay, you've been saved, now start working. Amen. Start building upon that hope that you've received. Our hope is not found in our president. It's not found in our military might. It's not found in our 401k, which we've all known recently. It's not in our home value. It's not in our job. It's not in our influence in society. Our hope is in one person, Jesus Christ. Amen. Luke 21, verses 27-28, Jesus Himself is speaking, and He says, And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with great power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, and the, these things that he's referring to are the end time events, the judgments that would be coming and the things to be looking for as in the days of Noah, he says, then look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. What are you building upon your salvation? You know, there's some people that the rock of salvation, the concrete slab has been perfectly poured, which it always is when we're saved. But upon that, we're building a stick hut. Upon that perfectly poured foundation, uh, we are taking some two-by-fours and putting it together with Elmer's glue and duct tape. What God wants us to do is lay brick by brick a solid home upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And that's really, even as you think about our physical homes, that's what God wants us to do in our marriages. And that's what He wants us to do in our home life. As, we, as we've had our couples retreat this weekend and we've looked at that and had a little more introspective look at how am I as a husband and my wife has looked at how am I as a wife and mother? What am I doing and how am I pleasing God? How am I building my home upon the salvation that God has given to me? 
How is my wife building our home based upon the salvation given to her? You and I need to be practicing our Christianity, building upon our faith that was once delivered to us. And then finally, letter B tonight, it is based in our purity. He says there in verse 3, And every man that hath this hope in him, what? Purifieth himself. I, I took a little pen in my Bible, and underneath the word purifieth, I wrote out, in the, in the, I underlined it, and out on the side I wrote sanctified. It really is talking about sanctification. The, the example and the principle that John is here saying is that, okay, you've been saved, and when we are all saved, there is a lot of sins that were in our past. They're all forgiven, but the habits of those sins are still there. I don't know if you've seen anybody that's really ever been saved out of real true wickedness. Maybe a drunkenness or, or, or maybe a, a, they didn't control their eyes or maybe a tobacco smoking or maybe some kind of gambling addiction or whatever serious, maybe life-dominating addiction that is there. To see that person through Christ's help break that habit is the picture of what John's saying. It's a, a process of every day purifying myself a little bit more. It's to take out those impurities. It's to take out that stuff. I, I, I never cease to, it never ceases to amaze me seeing the tap water here in Georgetown. I like it just a dozen. Uh, it's okay to me. It's got a little floaties in it. But if you really look at our tap water, there's some impurities in there if you're not careful. If, you're, if you don't have a good filter in your house, there's a lot of impurities that are floating around. And that's really, again, I think the good picture of what John is saying is that you've been saved, but now you need to go through your life and through Christ's help pick out some of the floaties. Get out some of that stuff out of your life that is impure. You don't want to drink that. You don't want to have those in your life. So get them out. And what he's saying is it's a continual process. You know why some people lack confidence in their life? It's because they've just kept sins there. Now we talked about this when we talked about confession in greater detail. But when we think about it, purifying yourself is saying, okay, this is what God wants. This is what I want. I'm going to eliminate it. That's making me more pure. It's drawing me closer to God. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us or it sanctifies us on a daily process as well. It saves us once, that moment in time salvation, placing our faith and trust in Him. But it is a continual process of that progressive sanctification we might speak of. Daily confessions of our sins builds our confidence in Jesus Christ. As we confess our sins to Him and we seek His guidance to purify those sins from our lives, we find that we can get victory and it gives us confidence. In Jesus Christ. James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. I'll read them to you. Don't need to turn. The Bible says, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Notice this last verse. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty... And continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now notice that last sentence. Being a doer of the work, he shall be blessed in his deed. Do you understand what purification is? Purifying our lives from sin. It is you and I taking the principles and the commands that we've been taught and doing them. Do you know why, why there's so many weak Christians today as well? It's because they'll hear good preaching. Some of them may even read their Bible. Some of them may even read their Bible every day. But they never look into the perfect law of liberty and do them. Mm -hmm. 
You see, the difference between, uh, between uh, purifying and not purifying is just a simple step of doing what the Word of God says. There are a lot that could quote the Ten Commandments and say, I shouldn't do those. But then they go out and do every single one of them. They break all ten. Uh, they break all the other hundreds of commands that are in the Old Testament and all the principles that we find in the Word of God. Our lives are to be based in Purity. As we prepare for each day, we must apply God's word. And the only way to apply God's word is to be in God's word. If you're not reading it every day, you have no chance. You have no ability in the Lord. I heard a story of a young girl who was out with some friends late one night. And someone suggested that they go to a questionable place. And she said, I better not go. Her friend said to her, are you afraid your father might hurt you if you go there? No, she said. I'm not afraid my father will hurt me. I'm afraid I will hurt my father. And that's really, as Christians, how we ought to think. That's what we ought to do. We ought to say in my life, listen, am I hurting God? Is this action against His will? Is it against His teaching? Is it against His precepts? If it is, we ought not do it. Too many Christians have lived their lives for themselves for far too long and have begun to lose their confidence in their salvation. To re-infuse, you have to understand first... My position is secure. There are promises that await me. And not just the promises that await me, but there is a practice that I must be doing. Tonight, maybe you're like Mr. Lincoln, and you need to keep a little good news around in your chest pocket, something that will just boost your confidence when you need it. I would tell you, pay close attention to these passages we looked at tonight. Take the Word of God and use it as literally a recharger every single day. God wants you to have confidence in your Christian walk, but the devil doesn't. This world doesn't, and your flesh certainly does not want you to walk in the Spirit. Tonight, I encourage you, if you want to be the best Christian you can, have confidence in the Lord, understanding God's love in your life.